Welcome to the Selling from the Heart podcast, your home for authentic, effective, and socially integrated sales strategies to help you master the art of selling. Join your co-hosts, Larry Levine and Daryl Amy, along with some of the world's best sales thought leaders and practitioners as we explore ways to help you grow your sales. And welcome back to Selling from the Heart, your co-host, Daryl Amy, here today with Larry Levine. What's going on, Larry? Oh, I'm, I'm getting ready for fall. That's what's going on. I, oh, my goodness. I know you're ready. Listen, I, uh, this Canadian that lives in the South, I am so thankful when uh, the leaves start turning that I, you can, your blood cannot get thin enough to live down here. No, no, because here, here's why. I can't do humidity, and I don't know how y'all live in humidity. Uh, and once again, here's Larry suffering in uh, north of Los Angeles, California. I know all of our listeners feel feel so bad for you, Larry. Hey, by the way, if you're new to the Selling from the Heart podcast, welcome. You've joined a growing community of sales professionals that are dedicated to being genuine, being authentic, delivering real value. We call it Selling from the Heart. Larry, I got to say, it's been a lot of fun this last week or so hearing back from the people who've been a part of the webinar on how to keep from losing your largest accounts. This has been a real, I, I think you've pulled the lid off an issue that is is really, really important right now that's not being talked about. Yeah, and and you know I'm not, I'm one that loves poking the bear and I, and I do it because I care, <laughs> but I, I see it. I mean, I see tenured sales reps and I know because I was one of them that are kind of just left alone. Nobody, you know, Hey, Daryl, Larry, right? Whoever, they're going to give me numbers and I don't have to worry about them. They're good to go, right? They'll, they'll give me what they give me, but no one's pushing them. And then after a while, they're just go, you know what? I lost the edge and I see it. I just had a conversation yesterday with someone and we spent 15 minutes on the phone. And after that, she goes, you know, I've lost my edge. And that concerns me because, you know, sometimes these top reps are handling the top accounts in that company. And if they're not coached and nurtured and they're taken advantage of by management, sorry to say that, but it's mm -hmm. somewhat true, is what's happening to those clients that they're managing? And that just frightens the hell out of me. Yeah, well, you know, that's going to lead into our conversation today. And let me just put a plug out there. If, if you're a tenured sales rep, you're a high performer, and you've ever kind of had that worry in the back of your mind or maybe in the front of your mind of, what would happen if I lost my largest account? And you want to make sure to set yourself up uh, to protect your key accounts. Go to webinars.sellingfromtheheart.net. And based on popular demand, we're going to be running this webinar again on Wednesday. And, and if you can't join live, you can catch the, uh, the recording. But Larry, along this line of talking about experienced salespeople, we've got a fantastic guest today. And I can't wait to dive into this conversation. Well, no, and I can't wait to get Amy Volus onto the podcast, but before, and, and you've heard, our listeners have heard me say this before, is if you, and I picked up on being an alliteration freak from Daryl, so sorry, Amy, but if you can educate and engage and excite people into conversations, you meet the coolest people, and I'm not here to say this is how you use social or why you use social, if you just use it in that fashion, you just get into conversations with some really cool people. And that's how Amy and I met. We started commenting on posts and blogs and I felt like I already knew her. And then one day I'm looking, I go, 
Amy's a second degree connection. What the hell's going on? So I asked her to connect. I said, Hey, I apologize. I thought we were, I thought we were first degree connections because I felt like we knew each other. And then we hopped on a conversation and had some great, great conversation. We think alike, we act alike. Uh, and so out without further ado, Amy Volus, welcome to Selling from the Heart. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I'm a fellow bear poker as well. So (laughs) (laughs) this will be good. I promise this will be good. (laughs) Here we are. Watch out. This is going to be a blast. I already know just for our conversation pre-show, we're going to have fun. But Amy, you know the question that all of our guests get. I'm looking forward to hearing your insight on what does it mean to sell from the heart? I think for me, I mean, the very first thing that pops up is being authentic, right? So um, sales, in my opinion, is a human-driven thing, and it needs to mean something. And the only way to do that, in my opinion, is if you really care about what it is that you're doing, you know why you're doing it, and you lead with that foot because you genuinely care about what your task at hand is, why you're there in the first place to sell whatever it is that you're trying to sell, but more importantly, that you can set your own agenda aside to truly embed yourself into another person's organization, into their life, into their needs, into their wants, into their goals, into their problems, whatever it might be, because you know that that foundation laid is going to be the glue. And that's always been the case for me is I'm fascinated by people. I'm genuinely curious about business. um, And the best things that I've ever done in my life come from those relationships. And the only way I could have done that was by all of that stuff and just being authentic and genuinely giving you know what's about what the task at hand was. So that's what it means to me. No, and, and it's and it's interesting because um, and I and I say this all the time is authenticity is tossed around like we toss around a baseball or a football or you know whatever your favorite sport that you like playing that you toss around with and i always say authenticity isn't something that you just turn the light switch on right all of a sudden i leave the house and i'm this authentic person i said you know you have to live it walk it talk it breathe it because people will sense it and that's why you know i keep poking it at being in a, an empty suit is there's so much facades and there's so much fakeness going on out there right and you can smell it amy i know you, you and i have spoken about it people smell inauthenticity i think faster than somebody who's truly sincere and it's it's a sad state that we live in but you know it's just it's why I say no empty suits. I was just talking about this earlier today where um, the conversation or the spirit of the conversation was LinkedIn, like done right and done not so right. And I find that people want to jump into the pond and they're not really sure how to do that. And so they see somebody like you, for example, that has a voice that's using their voice, that you have a point of view that you're out there, you have a following, you get engagement. It's like, I want to be like Larry when I grow up. And so what do they do is they take what you're writing or what you're doing and they basically copy and paste, change out some of the words. And now they're talking about it. I can spot that from a mile away. And it does the complete opposite of, I think, what the, the person is trying to do. It polarizes me away. It doesn't make me want to gravitate towards them. And so what people don't realize is like authenticity is like, synergy, velocity, like all those buzzwords that I could care less about, but it's, it's being true to what you say um, and backing that up in the action that you do, at least in my opinion. And it's maybe I 
um, poke the bear a little bit, but at least I know that I'm confident when I do that because there's a reason for that. And it's genuine to the place that I'm coming from, the space that I occupy, the business that I'm doing, and I can back it up with data and experience and all of that versus just being a bobblehead doll to tell you what I think you might want to hear so that I can have a conversation. Yeah. Brilliant. That's so good. Well, you know, we were talking before the show about a, a topic that really is is near and dear to all of our hearts right now. It's it's speaking of poking the bear. You know, we've we've been poking the bear a lot around here, and the bear being tenured salespeople and and what it's like to be a tenured salespeople, how organizations lead or don't lead, <laughs> uh, respect or don't respect um, tenured salespeople, and and I just want to open up the conversation today to to think together about. Um, leading tenured salespeople. And I'm kind of curious, I'll just throw this out to all of us. You know, what do you see out there in the uh, the world of salespeople in terms of how organizations are, are leading experience? I'm talking about the top performers, right? I'm talking about the, the cream of the crop, the, the top 20 of the 80-20 rule that are bringing in the lion's share of the business. Where, I'm curious what you're seeing out there Amy, and what some of your observations are around that? So my lens today is a little bit different than my lens before I started my company. And so when I started my company, I made an active decision um, to depart where I had always spent my time, which was in the enterprise, and to really focus on startups, which is my second business love. This comes from the startup world, which is a bit different than like the Oracles and the IBMs and the sales forces of the world, because I think there's a separate issue there that doesn't necessarily look the same as a startup. Um, And I hear about both because people come my way every day to talk to me about what their challenges are and why they want to go or why they'd be open to leaving or any of those things. But from the startup lens, I think first and foremost, a lot of companies don't understand what enterprise sales is, right? So that's where it starts is well, we did a really great job with SMB. Um, maybe even dipped our toe into the mid-market market. Mm-hmm. And um, my background is SMB. And the sales leadership team comes from SMB. And all of a sudden, we're starting to get leads. And maybe we got funding. And that's supposed to go to this enterprise strategy. That's where the foundation starts breaking. So what do you do? You hire a bunch of people. And those people are tenured enterprise salespeople. And the language that leadership speaks versus the language that the enterprise seller speaks, those two things aren't synonymous a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And so how to motivate them, incentivize them, compensate them, solve their customer problems, listen to them and not think that they're high maintenance people that get paid too much, you know, all of these things. I find that that's where the crack in the foundation is of what I see quite a bit is the fact that you've got these heavy duty accomplished people that are getting you into these places. And there's a whole different set and slew of problems and customizations and things along those lines that happen. And you're not sure how to deal with it, but they're bringing you money and they're doing what you want them to do. So to your point, Larry, you just leave them over to the side. And that's where then disaster starts happening. Yeah. And and it was, and I felt it firsthand and and Daryl knows this is I was with the same organization almost 20 years and I was their top sales rep every single year, excuse me, except for one. 
And I was that person who just get pushed aside and pushed aside. And that's when I learned how to just manage myself and hold myself to a higher degree of standard. And I had to seek out the knowledge myself. I had to seek out coaches and mentors that would push me for one simple reason is management didn't know how to coach me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem that I see with, you know, sales teams today, because you're taking, Amy, what you just said, whether it's that enterprise or it's that major account sales professional, and you're putting them into training and lumping them in with everybody else, and they just throw the middle finger in the air and they say, you just don't get me, right? And then they go, that's where conflict starts. And that's why, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a blog post and it was, and it was you know, to begin to poke holes at this is there can't be one voice and one coach inside sales teams because there's different levels of tenure and experience. And sometimes, you know, to give credit to the, to the major account enterprise salespeople, most managers don't get the world they live in. Well, that, I mean, that has been the life that I've lived more than not in my own sales career. So I was always a top performer. Um, in one particular situation there, when you were talking about it, it it took me back in time to a place where I carried 60% of the total company revenue in my back pocket. And luckily I had a direct leader that was a mentor that challenged me, that helped me. And he was getting ready to go. And I was fiercely loyal to him. And I was scared about if he goes, the, um, others that are remaining, they don't understand our world. They don't, I'm like a necessary evil. Um, and I was treated as such at that, at that point. And so I remember having dinner with the CEO and we were talking about what these changes would mean. And I looked at him and I said, in my mind, it's like a partnership, right? So this is what's important to me for me to stay here. And this is what is important for you to have me be here to continue to grow the business together. And he goes, no, 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 no. Make no mistake. You work for me. And the only thing that you're good at is bringing in the numbers. Wow. Yeah. I resigned within two months. Wow. Um, So, you know, it's, it's, and and I carried 60% of the company revenue and the company suffered after I left. Right. So I don't think, I think the word coaching is used way too much. I'm a big believer in it. I use it in my own articles, in my own postings. I subscribe to it. But I think when you are the number one seller or in the top, you know, 3% or whatever you want to say, and it's, it's heavy duty enterprise sales. The one thing that always rubbed me the wrong way was somebody would come in. They have never been in my world. They've never been with my customer. They don't know what's happening out in the field. They don't care, quite frankly. They want to leave behind the spreadsheet and they come in and they're like, how can I help? You know, that's always like the number one thing in coaching. Like, well, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. But you don't understand me and you're not taking the time to understand me. And so I don't trust you and I don't respect you. And that doesn't have anything to do with me showing respect or being likable or any of that. It's about the sheer business. So how can you help me block and tackle? So I'm using, you know, sports terms and I'm so not that, that girl, but <laughs> what I find amusing. you in, Amy. Please do, honorary member. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I think about it, it's like if you don't have any perspective and you're not taking the time as a leader to have any perspective and your ego gets in the way to say, I don't have all the answers, mm-hmm. but I am here to help you, 
right? And this is what help looks like. I want to spend time with you and your buyers. I want to hear what they're going through. Where is your biggest challenge? We're about to lose this big customer. Let's break that apart together because while I haven't done your job, I've done a really good job in my career of breaking apart business strategy. Maybe you, it just requires us to look through a different lens and you've got tunnel vision. That's where I've had the best experience from a coaching perspective versus what does your pipeline look like? What's risk? What's the reward? What's this? What's that? That's where you lose me. I'm having flashbacks right now. I'm just remembering, um, you know, the, uh, the early days in the career, because you, you were talking earlier about how you go into a sales career and you start being successful and there's going to come a day where there's a fork in the road, right? And that fork is, do you move into management or do you stay and move into, you know, major accounts, sales, named accounts, whatever you want to call it. And um, so at that fork in the road, when I was, I was 25, 24, I took the management thing because I was like, man, this is going to be great. Little did I know I was going to be a terrible manager. But nonetheless, you know, I took the management thing. And I remember going out in the field with tenured salespeople who were in their 40s and 50s, who were major account reps, who were highly successful. They were, you know, the highest compensated people, maybe in the whole whole branch for sure. And, um, you know, and, and I was... I was a fish out of water. I knew how to recruit a new rep, bring them on board, teach them the, you know, show them the ropes and get them started. But boy, when it came to, to leading uh, a, a major account person, I really had no idea. So I tried, you know, I, I did my best to go out and learn and just be quiet <laughs> and listen and, and all of that. Uh, maybe not as well as you described, but I think this is a real challenge because I think most sales leaders, you know, reached that fork in the road in their career, whenever that was, and they peeled off into management. And now they're, they're faced with managing and leading people who are doing things that they really didn't get to do or have to do. And there's a level of uh, maybe insecurity there, um, maybe even a level of threat in terms of like, sometimes often in companies, the, the tenured major account reps are compensated more than the sales manager themselves or even the VP of sales. So there's like a disconnect there and it's a real challenge, I think, in a lot of, a lot of organizations. And, and uh, boy, if you don't take care of your tenured salespeople and figure out how to navigate that challenge, one of two things is going to happen. Number one, they'll leave. Um, or number two, they'll get complacent, bored, and um, maybe sloppy, you know, and, and then your large accounts are at risk when that happens. This is a real challenge, Larry. No, it, it is. And it, and it's interesting because I, I was listening to Amy and I had like major flashbacks. <laughs> you did too, huh? Right now. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just because, because, and I know Amy's witnessed this and she's probably said it before. And I'd be curious, Amy, what your thoughts are the minute I lay this out is how many times has that experienced sales professional, somebody who's the top one to two to three in their company where that manager goes, well, Hey, Amy, right. How can I help you? Right. Or what can I do for you? And then Amy says, well, nothing, you know, everything's cool, which is like code word for hey, get off my back. Or actually I do need some help, but you know, you don't get my world. So why are you asking me what I need for help when you really don't even know what I'm doing? Right, Amy? Yeah. I mean, I, I think back, 
this is bringing back so many flashbacks for me. I think back to um, a time in my career where there were a team of us, we were all in the same office. We were all senior enterprise sellers. Our office was the most successful office across the country. And um, we had been leaderless for a while. And in comes this person that gets hired. And the first thing that he says is, I want to do a SWOT analysis. It's like SWOT analysis, like acronym, right? And so we go through the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, the threats, you know, all of that. And of course there's me and I've always been this way of being the one out of the entire group that has no problem raising their hand to be like, okay, we want to talk about strengths. Here they are. We want to talk about weaknesses. Here they are. Here's our opportunities. Here's our threats. I've always been the one that says the things out loud that everybody else is thinking for whatever that's worth. Um, it's gotten me into trouble sometimes, but I'm happy to be that person. So we do this, right? It's like a three hour session. And there are some real big threats that we have. And we've been leaderless on our own little island and nobody really cares about us because we're just making our numbers. Who cares? They're just over there. And so he comes in and all he cares about is the pipeline report of the spreadsheet. And anybody in their right mind in a leadership role knows, I don't want to burden my team with the things that I can get that are in the system, right? That's my job. What I do need to do is understand what in the holy hell is happening. And so we'd have these meetings and I found that I quickly started tuning out and I would schedule on purpose big client meetings that I'm like, I can't be there. I've got a client meeting because literally, and I wasn't trying to be respect or disrespectful. It was, we've got this situation where every week it was like plug and play the same questions, the same things. What can I do? What's next? What do you need? Never one note taken, never one follow-up action item to the things that we were sharing. He quickly lost all of our respect, all of our trust. We liked him. He was a good dude, but it was like he was scared of his own shadow to manage up. And he was trying to prove himself and luckily he walked into a well-performing team. He didn't have to do that much. But when it came time to break apart really big deals, he had no idea how to do that. And so he would just kind of go the other way and we were left to our own devices. And it was almost like it was worse than not having a leader at all. Uh Um, And we all went around him because he wasn't doing anything for us. I mean, it's like, so that's when frustration starts happening to your point earlier, Larry, where it's like, then you're frustrated. Yeah. You're frustrated because it's like, it's taking more of my time to navigate these waters of helping you do your job versus helping me do mine. And I thought we were in this together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm going to bring up three things because I talk about it all the time when whether I'm speaking in front of sales teams or working one on one with people with salespeople is this is we live in a world where many people don't trust salespeople. They think they're full of BS and they're skeptical about everything they have to say. So I wonder where these salespeople learned it from, because how many salespeople don't trust their manager think they're full of BS and they're skeptical about everything they have to say. And, you know, I'm sorry to throw it out there, but you wonder why everything's so screwed up. Just look inside your organization and there's just a trust and BS and skepticism meters are flying like there's no tomorrow. Or you have an inexperienced manager, which is a completely different topic altogether. But you have somebody that was a phenomenal rep 
that now is a leader and has no business being a leader, right? Or, or they have no support. They have no training. They have no idea what they're doing. And they're giving horrible advice to their team, right? And, and especially if you were promoted from a different team to go up a level, right? So let's say you go from being a phenomenal uh mid-market AE, and now you're running an enterprise sales team because you just blew out your numbers and you were ready and poised for this. And you're telling people to use tactics or things that they know aren't going to translate well. So I'll give you an example. It's the end of the quarter. Let's slash our prices. Let's put a timestamp on it. Let's promote the mess out of it. And you've got the team being like, oh, I don't want to do this. This is gross, but it's all managed in the system and you can see whether people are doing it or not. So you have to do it. Uh It's like, you know, like, so you've got these things where if it is a hot mess internally for whatever the reasons are wrong manager, bad leader, um, bad infrastructure, not understanding, not speaking the same language, whatever the case may be, you then see that same thing translate to your buyer. And it's just icky. Like it doesn't have to be that way. So let's think about this as we, as we kind of wrap this up. So I think hopefully if you're a leader listening to this podcast, you're taking lots of notes and uh, you know, this is, you know, this is a good gut check, but if you're a, if most of the listeners to our podcasts are sales professionals and a lot of them are the top reps in the office. So let's think together if, if you're that top rep in the office and you've kind of got that, leadership structure or lack thereof that we've been talking about, what should you do? I mean, you know, you can't slow down your career and you can't stop. Um, You know, maybe you can leave. That's certainly an option, but you know, in your current position, what are some things that tenured sales professionals can do if they're not getting what they need um, from their companies? So, From my end, I think first and foremost, it starts with trying. So many people make a case or have lots of assumptions and they're afraid to have conversation. So I think first and foremost, it starts with sometimes perception isn't always reality. And if your leader has gone gone to you and said, hey, how can I help? And you're like, I'm good. Um, You're really not good. And you owe it to yourself and to them to give yourself and them an opportunity to have a discussion to say, actually, I'm not so good. Here are the things that I'm struggling with. Here's what I need. And here's what I need from you. Because sometimes they don't know how to help you. It's up to you to, to figure that out and to ask for it. Great advice. Step one, right? Like, so if that's happened and now it's not any better, and in fact, it's worse, are there other people inside of the organization that you can learn and grow from? Are there other mentors? Are there other leaders? Are there other team members on other teams that you can, um, put pieces together to help you block and tackle, not against the leader, but for your buyer, for your product, for your customer journey, for yourself, for your career. Um, It's not just a single threaded sort of thought process, especially if you love your company and you love the products and you want to grow and thrive there, get to know the other departments, find out what makes them tick, Be be your own ambassador, foster those relationships internally. If you don't have it internally, and you're making it rain, and you've got a big paycheck, right? Um, I always then just put my head down, dealt with my business, dealt with my customers, embedded myself with my customers, was the biggest advocate for my customers, 
And I sought mentorship and guidance and counsel outside of my company to help me be the best version of myself. Those are three things that very different things that you can do um, if you're not already doing them today. Yeah, no. And, and that's rock solid advice, Amy, because I always tell people you can control what you can control, which is you and what you do. You can't control what other people do. And, you know, I love the organization that I worked with. I didn't like some of the people in there, but I kept my head down and I just did my job. But I think, you know, if that doesn't work, then I think you owe it to yourself to whoever you roll up to as a sales professional to say, let me share with you how I feel. And this is why I feel that way over the last 90 days. Let me share with you what I've been going through and how you might be able to help me. And if that person can't help you, right. And you still, like you said, Amy, love the company, then find a safe zone inside the company where you can just, you know, I call it have a come to Jesus meeting, but I think you get what I'm going with this and just say, Hey, here's how I feel. And if all that still doesn't happen, well then, you know, you got choices. Sure. Yeah. And I think the other thing is just like you were saying, make it, make a choice to invest in yourself because sometimes, you know, there, there is no truly highly compensated professional that doesn't invest in themselves. So listen, my, my 15 year old is a big NBA fan. And he was telling me the other day about how much money uh, LeBron James spends to stay young. Right. And I, it was some ridiculous sum of money, but it doesn't matter. He knows that he's a professional and if he wants to perform, he needs to invest in himself. And, and I think a lot of that, you know, when you look at high performance sales reps, there's, there's sometimes that, um, you know, kind of whining, not whining, they're wringing of the hands and going, my company's not investing in me. Well, invest in yourself, you know, go out, get the books, get a coach, get, you know, do something for yourself because you know that when you invest in yourself, you're going to get a return on that investment and it's going to be multiplied over the years um, that are ahead of you in your career. And so I think a lot of that is, is just, you know, maybe sometimes that, that just realistic realization that, you know what, the management in my company, especially if you're in a midsize or, or smaller organization, the management of my company is focused on recruiting and developing new reps. They have to be. It's a big part of it. I may need to go get some help um, myself. I may need to, you know, invest some money. I may need to read a book. I may need to do something to invest in myself. And I think that, um, you know, that, that old saying is, uh, I, you know, I don't know who to attribute the, uh, what got you there won't get you where you want to go, but there, you know, some, I think some of the people listening, we need to just make that mind shift to go, you know what, I'm going to have to start looking in different places for some help going forward to make sure I can continue to grow in my career just after a sober analysis that I'm probably not going to get that from my company. And, you know, even if they don't pay for it, I'm going to get a return on the investment I make myself. Well, it's a mindset thing, right? I, I'm a big believer that nobody's going to have your back more than you have it for yourself. And what oh, yeah. you do with something is directly correlated to what comes back to you. And yeah. so there's that mindset of being a victim or of saying, forget it, this is my career. And I, I am an active participant in my career and I need to chart my own course. Mm -hmm. um, and even if, even if you don't have the money to invest in yourself, there's a little thing called LinkedIn. There's a lot of free right. information and people coming together. So 
that are willing to talk about how to make it better, what's worked well for them. People are more than happy to have conversations. And so, you know, if if you're going to take a backseat to your own career, I don't feel that bad for you. No, and neither do I. Great point. That's, oh man, what a good point. What a great discussion too. I can't believe we're, uh, we've bumped up against the uh, the end of the podcast. Amy, any words of wisdom as we end? I know there's, oh my goodness, so much. I think what I just said is probably the best way to go out. You know, I'm going to go out on that high note. <laughs> <laughs> just go strong. Uh, well, hey, everybody. Yeah, just careful with the mic. Uh, no, that's good. Hey, I, I really appreciate you joining us. I appreciate um, all that you stand for and, and who you are. I've really enjoyed getting to know you, and I know our listeners have as well. We'll put some uh, contact information in the show notes on the podcast, and uh, I really appreciate you. And uh, Larry, any words of wisdom as we land the plane today? Yeah, it, it's it's actually something I threw out on social uh, just real recently, and, and I think it's a good way to tie this all together, especially since we're talking about leadership. Mm -hmm. is I said, leaders who lead with their heart have sellers who sell from the heart. And I want people to think about that one. Ah, That's so good. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, Till next week, keep being genuine, keep being authentic, keep adding real value, invest in yourself and your success. And most of all, sell from the heart. Thanks for listening to the Selling from the Heart podcast on the SalesCast Network. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. We appreciate your encouraging reviews as it helps us spread the word. As always, we would love to connect with you. So look for us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and your favorite podcast platform. This podcast is produced by our friends at SalesCast. Learn more at www.salescast.co. We look forward to seeing you next time.